1: Hello and welcome to the political party. Not for the first time since this show um, was created. What an incredible time to be doing political comedy and a, a political chat show. Today's guest is Lindsay Hoyle, Speaker of the House of Commons. And nothing can really do justice to how good this is. He is a very, very funny man. Very warm, very likable, very thoughtful. And we talk about this a little bit, I think, near the start. Every Speaker of the House of Commons on the whole in my life, I mean, there have been before Betty Boothroyd, Michael Martin, John Burko, and now Lindsay Hoyle. Apart from Michael Martin, they've been very big commandeering characters um, who have had to really impose themselves onto the House of Commons and have seen their role, not just in terms of refereeing Prime Minister's questions, but in the functioning of Parliament and strengthening the role of MPs and holding the executive to account. So they have a, a, a real mixed role as Speaker of the House of Commons. But what is so great about it, and I'm a real fan of PNQs, as you probably know, is that they manage to dispatch it. I mean, particularly Lindsay Hoyle and Betty Boothroyd in a very funny way. And they keep a a, a wit. And and what they're able to do is make it funny without it being nasty. And that is such a delicate line that so many others would get wrong. And that really comes through. But I mean, what you need to just brace yourself for is Lindsay Hoyle is probably the best storyteller you're ever going to meet and his anecdotes on here are just majestic they are he possesses timing and delivery that most comedians can only ever dream of and he's just a wonderful person to spend time with but you come away reassured inspired and just thoroughly entertained I mean, I just i felt so energised after meeting. I mean, with just within a minute, it was just like, this guy's an absolute firecracker in the right way. And what's great about him is he's never at the expense of being serious about politics, about serious about the role of the House of Commons or the legislature in holding the executive count and, and his role in that. I mean, what a great mix to have that authority and to have a philosophy, a governing philosophy of, of how he changes the House of Commons for the better and its role in our national life but also to really enjoy it and to enjoy the fun of it. And I don't think anyone really, I I, I, was almost like meeting a kind of kindred spirit. So I was like, this is exactly how I feel. It is an important job, but also it has to be done in a way that is, dare I say it, entertaining. Uh, And that is arguably crucial um, in the right way, as long as it's done the right way. And we talk about that, but it's just, I'm buzzing having met him. It was just great. I mean, you're just going to love it. He is so funny. And he's just got so many stories. So many. Anyway, before that, um, just let me know. uh, Let let me let you know. It's very hot. who the forthcoming guests are. So my next guest at the Duchess Theatre on the 25th of July is Alan Johnson, an absolute titan. And that clip of him and John Lansman on election night and ITV periodically goes viral. And it is a masterclass in political sense. And obviously, I mean, you talk about men of the people, people who should have been prime minister. He's at the top of that list. My next three guests are at the Edinburgh Festival. I'm up there with my show clowns that have to be jokers to the right, which, thanks to the news, I'm now completely rewriting, but I'm used to it. Um, I enjoy the challenge. Um, So I'm at the Pleasance Courtyard every day from the 3rd to the 28th of April. And I've put links to these in the uh, show notes. But then I'm doing three political party specials at the Edinburgh Festival on the 7th of August at the McEwen Hall. My guest is Gordon Brown. You don't need me to tell you. That's going to be incredible. And I've been trying to get Gordon on the show for a long time. I I mean, he'll be the only the second uh, ex-Prime Minister that I've had on the show. I, I cannot wait. Um, tickets that are almost gone. Um, then my next two guests at the Edinburgh Festival, and these are all selling very rapidly, on the 15th of August at the Gilda Balloon TV. My guest is leader of Scottish Labour, Anna Sawa, one of the most entertaining guests in the history of the show. And then on the twenty-second of August, also at the Guild of Balloon TV, is Joanna Cherry, the outspoken SNP member of Parliament and the QC who was crucial in getting Parliament to say over Brexit. Uh, I had Joanna Cherry on the show before over Zoom, but never live, uh, and that will be phenomenal. Then when we come back at the Duchess Theatre, I'm booking in the autumn and winter. Um, Run, But two guests that I have are on the 17th of October, Matt Hancock. And on the 5th of December, the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves. Uh, And I'm adding guests all the time. So click on the link there and you can buy tickets to all of those. Now, before we come to the interview with Lindsay Hoyle, of course, um, what an amazing week to be doing stand-up about politics. You know, when he goes... I'm going to chase, you know, it was like when, you remember when Stada, Saddam Hussein's statue got pulled down. There was that lad chasing it through the streets with the slippers. <laughs> I'd like to do that.
0: <laughs>
1: I'd like to do that to his actual body. And, and the stuff he came out with, I mean, it really reminds me of, um, I don't know if anyone, years ago had William Hague on the show and he had a great phrase about the Tory. Because there is something about the Tory party, like when they turned and he had this great phrase, he said, Well, the Conservative Party. <laughs> is ferociously and passionately loyal to its leader until the point at which it's not. <laughs> but It's just in trying to blame other people. That thing about the herd. When the herd turns, uh, it's over and you're like, well, don't try and make out this is like a sort of Attenborough thing and you're some innocent gazelle by a watering hole. And finally the herd turns on the man that once led them and what happens next is swift and brutal. and that's what happens when you find yourself in a leadership role, top of the pack, and turn out to be a philandering liar who broke the law and promoted a sex offender.
0: <laughs>
1: Fuck him. He doesn't deserve the respect on the way out. Right? And the fact that people say, well, a political genius that delivered the biggest majority any Conservative Prime Minister's got since Margaret Thatcher, an 80 80- seat," You're like, you're erasing the three majorities Tony Blair got. Like, he's nowhere near. Like, a political genius. You're like, he beat Corbin, like, totally flattered. It would be like saying, this fella here, the new heavyweight prospect in British boxing, undefeated, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, none of them want to fight him. This guy is the real deal. Like, who did he beat in his last fight? Joe Pasquale, Timmy Mallet? You're like, this doesn't count. <laughs> he be fucking clowns. The guy's not a genius, but um, watch it oh, like The fact that he had, I loved how sad it was, when he got his little group of weird mates. So he had two, even, even in his final moment, he was divisive. Because he had the VIP section at the top of the street for like Carrie and the people who worked there. Then he had his sort of weird group of monsters halfway down the street. I mean, they even look weird. Like even the tall ones are too tall. And like, Daniel Kaczynski, whatever his name is, you're like, you're so abnormal in every way. You just all look fucking weird and then Andrea Jenkins, you know those people just have that mad stare and be like, don't sit next to her at school, you know what I mean, like that sort of vibe. And then Andrea Jenkins obviously leaves and there's a few people outside Downing Street just booing in a very gentle way and she f- gives them the middle finger, which actually, quite, I mean, these people are meant to be patriots. At least flick the V. <laughs> the Americanisation of British politics really is getting out of control. Fli- they're even saying flicking the bird. You're like flicking a V would have been. so... I'd have had more respect for him. Just come out and gone. Fuck off.
0: <laughs> I actually,
1: quite <can't> expect that. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is. But it is like the coarsening that they've presided over in our politics. We've had Prime Ministers that, perhaps, people might say wasn't up to the job or the culture they presided over. What I mean, whatever you think of Gordon Brown, at times people find that very distressing. When he resigned, he didn't have, like, his acolytes. He didn't have Ed Miliband. Coming out the bottom of the Danish chair going, all right, who fucking wants it? Yeah, I'll take you in a minute, mate. Yes, I am. Toss off. Suck it. Of course, now uh, the contest is underway, and according to the Times, it's going to be the dirtiest leadership contest in history, which, uh, you know, is appalling but brilliant at the same time. Uh, really looking forward to some of this. And apparently there's a dirty dossier that has been handed to the Labour Party digitally of compromising photos of other leadership candidates um, involved in bondage, sadomasochism, and there are, like, photos of this shit. And apparently it's been handed to the Labour Party, think... Imagine Keir Starmer flicking through that. <laughs> Jesus
0: Christ! I've
1: seen the pictures of what picture of Rishi Sunak. Why can't people just go to the toilet normally? Well, ironically, I'll take the whip back from him after that. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Terrible photo here of one of Sajid Javan's bollocks being squeezed into a vice. Oh no, that's just his face. (laughs) Poor old. Hand it to the Metropolitan Police. (laughs) Of course, they're all um, announcing their videos. I mean, I just... I could look at all their websites and their Twitter feeds. Rishi Sunak's, are you ready for Rishi? Um, Which, obviously, there's only really one answer to that. No. Don't ask a question, you're not going to like the answer. Are you ready for Rishi? I mean, imagine the other ones they went through. Are you Randy for Rishi? Uh, Are you Sodden for Sunak? Uh, Let's just go with ready for Rishi. Uh, And he's um, done this terrible... I mean, he... It's incredible, this guy... Five, ten days ago, we're saying we need this man to be prime minister. I'm standing by Boris Johnson. He's the leader this country needs. He's been his chancellor for God knows how long. And now he's saying oh, we need to break with the past, we need a clean start, we need to um, undo the damage this government's done. You're like, mate, you were the leading member of it. It's insane to not go. I was a part of it, we got some stuff right. He's basically going, we need to completely change direction, Uh, we got a lot of, this government got a lot of, you you were in it. You can't, if you think Boris Johnson was the problem, Rishi Sunak cannot be the answer. We're like saying, all right, everyone, Fred West has agreed to stand down as part of the local residents' association. Should we let Rose have a go? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's going to solve the problem, I think it's going to be more of the same. He's the continuity candidate, and the video he put out, it's so sickly. The only line of it, he goes, I want to tell you a story. (laughs) Can you imagine any other era? A a potential Prime Minister talking to you like you're a nursery child. Are you sitting comfortably? (laughs) And The story he tells is great, he goes, it's a story of a woman who got on a plane to Britain, just with some hope, and wanted a better life for her family. It's his mum, right? I'd vote for her. She sounds great. This isn't your story, Rishi. This is the problem. They all delve so far back. It's like, who do you think you are now, the Tory leadership contest? They need some, life, they need some past that they cannot be ashamed of. My great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was a Russian serf. And he lived only on turnips. Tony, so you're better off just owning the fact that you minted the whole thing. His father, David Cameron was better at it. Tony Blair, they just couldn't have been really lucky, but I also think I can make a contribution to Rather than trying to make out you had a normal upbringing when you didn't. He'd be better off saying, let me tell you a story about me. I went to one of the most elite private schools in the country, <laughs> went to Oxford, got a job for Goldman Sachs, met a wife who was absolutely minted. We have a joint wealth of 750 million pounds. We don't even need to work, we just fucking love money. <laughs> God, at least he's honest. Of course, the video of Rishi Sunak that's doing the rounds that he probably wasn't one is from 20 years ago. It's from an ITV documentary about class. I mean, to be fair to him, it's awkward. He goes, it's him. He must be sort of in his 20s. And he goes, yeah, got lots of friends. Um, uh, I'm friends with aristocrats, um, upper class people, working class people. Well, no, not working class people.
0: (laughs) Why would you even correct
1: yourself on that? No one's going to go, all right, name them. (laughs) We hell took out. Well, there's... Fred, there's Mick down the welfare. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, fine, it's fine to be Portion not of working class. It's mad that you then expected to have friends from every community. It's only totally legitimate to say, look, I don't move in those circles, but I travel the country a lot. I meet people from different backgrounds. I can empathise It's really You don't have to pretend that you've got like, a, a finger in every pie. I mean, equally, it's, it's not like there's loads of working class people out there going, you, you are. Rishi? I, got anywhere, oh, I thought it was his mate. Oh, I've got lots of good mates, you know, plumbers, uh, joiners, fitters and Rishi Sunak. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Oh, what an amazing guest we have and what an amazing time um, to be talking to him. Every, if you think of all the speakers of the House of Commons in my lifetime, some of them have been era-defining figures. Betty Boothroyd, Michael Martin, John Burko, and now it's amazing how it always produces a big character who makes the job their own and helps set the tone for our political debate and it attracts a certain type of person that is charismatic, that is funny and that also has to do so many different roles (laughs) and the current speaker tonight's guest is already my favourite speaker of all time I think he dispatches his duties with such wit and warmth and has managed to I think move the House of Commons on, but still retain that sense that it, as well as being very important, it's also very funny. You're gonna absolutely love him. Please raise the roof for a modern political legend. <laughs> Lindsay Hoyle! <laughs> 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 Lindsay! How are you? Thank you so much. No I've yeah. got your, your water there. Oh uh, treat yeah. yourself. So an interesting time constitutionally.
2: Eek. It's certainly been one that could have been quieter than it is at the moment, yes. Uh, certainly taken the edge off what a normal speaker would have. I've got to say, somebody said to me, by the way, Brexit's the biggest thing we'll have. Pandemic, Prime Minister resigning, you name it, General Election, I've had everything. Don't <laughs> <laughs> follow en- my numbers on lottery, whatever you think. And <laughs> <laughs> you enjoying it? Of course I am. You know, look, I'm the 158th speaker, I'm the first from Lancashire. A language lab, proud of my accent, proud of my roots, and why wouldn't I want to do the best job in the world? And I've got to say I'm very lucky, I suppose, right place, right time, these things happen. And it's happened for me. And don't do a job you don't want. I love every minute of it. It's great, sometimes frustrating. Bottom line is get the best out of it. Make the most out of it. I think you've definitely
1: done that because there's always a slight fear. I mean I guess Michael Martin, in, in, in your predecessors, Bessie Boothroyd was a really big character who added to the sense of the House of Commons. The same for Burko for better or for worse. Michael Martin was a bit less of that. You're sort of more in, you can see what I mean, you're more in the sort of boothroyd I thing for all, all the differences that you have with those people. I mean, you were a Labour MP during the Michael Martin years. Did that feel like it was a bit of a, a,
2: a strange period for the Speaker? Well, I, th- I think like everything, I felt sorry for Michael Martin events over two Kim... The whole expense is, there was no way out, Parliament went as low as it's ever been. And hopefully we've moved on a long way since then. But of course, you're right, and tragically, Martin, Michael Martin, was a speaker who was during my time. Of course, I saw Betty as well. And I've got to say, you know, he remains a great friend. And, and these things go on, and then John Burkall came in. But the best one is, of course, it's quite funny. So here we have one of my great heroes is Betty Boothroyd. Fantastic from the north, Yorkshire accent, wrong side of the Pennines, but we'll always unite against the south. So we have something in common. So Betty'll phone. Welcome to London. (laughs) I wonder where we are. And of course, you know Betty's fantastic, but she's still kind of the speaker, and she'll ring me up and she'll say, "No, lovey, let me just say to you, you're doing all right, but there's always a but." You just need to throw one of them out. That'll sort your problems. Just throw one out. That's very good. And then she'll phone up and say, the world's slightly moved on from when she was speaker, and she'll phone up. Helen, who's my chief of staff, and she'll ring up. Is that you, Helen? No, it's Kate. Well, I don't want you. I want Helen. Well, where is she? Well, she's just sitting this. Well, you'd better go and get her.
0: <laughs>
2: so Helen will go to the phone. Uh, yes, Barry I do how can I help just tell him I want dinner at 7 o'clock tonight, I'll meet him in strangers. And that's how Betty is with you, you know. And then I get all the advice. She's brilliant. You know, just do this, just do it. You're doing all right. She always builds me up to knock me down, which is fantastic. That's what politicians are out. So I've got to say, she's, she's great. And it's her 30th anniversary of Speaker. And I've got to say we're going to have a special event when we get through. In October, we're going to open up the staterooms. And Betty's portrait's going to be there for everybody to see and we're going to tell a bit of history about the only ever woman speaker. Great friend, what a great woman she is. She's phenomenal and really set, I guess, the
1: tone. In the TV age, she was the first one to really become a megastar. You're doing this in the Twitter age and social media. I mean, is that on your mind at all when you're trying to
2: effectively referee the House of Commons? No, look... You go in each day. The good news is that you get to Francis' questions, probably the biggest event that faces on a Wednesday. I have no stress. Helen takes all the stress for me. She gets all worked up about going in, what we're gonna do, she stands on the side of me, ready to advise me. I'm stress-free. I just think, well, what's gonna happen's gonna happen, all gonna change, I'm just gonna to have to live with it. So, you know, it's just spontaneity. It's like somebody said. Do you practice one-liners? Absolutely not. It's just what I think at that moment comes out. I think that's what we're in. It's Helen Moore. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? You can see the panic. says so she has all the stress. We get through it. She's completely drained. Now I go, it wasn't bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> I remember during the pandemic, when people were
1: doing questions on... I mean, I watch a lot of the House of Commons during the day. I will you need to open. get a
2: life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, of all the people that thought my. Sympathise with watching it. I mean, I guess you're there, so it's different, but I like to watch yeah. it on telly. And when, when they were doing these questions in my <laughs> screen, I remember one day, there was a guy, and I can't remember who it was, but I'm sure I remember it. Some MPs just had AirPods. This guy had, like, massive... They were like <laughs> noise Bob Blackman. Cuts. Yeah, that was it! With the thing, and you said something like, Bob Blackman, who's going to bring this
2: question into London?
0: <laughs> <laughs> His name was
2: the best of it is, my son-in-law's a pilot. Every time I saw him, I thought, my son-in-law's gonna land in the table <laughs> really? So there's Bob with his pilot, pa- and he took it all in good, him. he was grateful. How's he gonna land this question? Bob's now clear to come in, you know, we did everything with it. <laughs> he took it well.
1: Do, do people ever not take it well? Do they ever say, oh, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were a bit harsh on me there?
2: They always think I'm harsh, but I don't take him for a question. So if you get a question, the world's wonderful for him. I start off question time with every MP thinking I'm brilliant. The moment you only take three extra questions, I then become quite a hate figure. But yeah, no, overall, people are good and they realise just a bit of banter does no harm. So I think, you know, you don't need to humiliate people, but you can have a bit of fun, bring them into line and just warn them. You know, and, and, I, and I think that's the best thing. You know, I, I just look round and I just think, Jonathan Gullis, new MP, he is from Stoke, Jonathan Oh, he was a school teacher, God knows. And, <laughs> and it worries me because the worst behaved person in is always ready to shout. And in the end, I found out his mother's called Zoe, and she like tells him off when he's not in Parliament. She said, My mother's just been on, you shouted at me. So I now threaten him, by the way, I'm going to ring Zoe if you're not quiet. <laughs> <laughs> it works, it's brilliant, it's amazing what you can do with them. You know. Or even if you, if you tell them, by the way, you better go and get a cup of tea before I. <laughs> I make sure that you pay for this fully, you know. So you can work with people, you can have a bit of fun, you get them all lined up, and you always know where the naughty ones are. I loop round. As soon as they walk in, have they moved? Because that's the crafty one, isn't it? They sit in the same place for six weeks, so I think I know where they are. I hear a voice and they're not there. That's well, gone wrong, so I might try spot them. So, Helen on one side, Scott on the other side, they're my spotters. So we know who the problems are, tell me where they are, let me give them the look. Usually I look at and I'll go, that's enough. and and they're pretty good and I don't know whether people are aware of this but if you get thrown out and you're named you lose at least five days pay so that's why I don't like doing I don't want to take someone's pay off them but the ultimate sacrifice is it costs you dearly and they always say when we're coming up because it's going to be five working days so if on the Wednesday and we're finishing on a Thursday I say to them we're off for three weeks this isn't five days pay this is 15 days pay get real (laughs) Everybody's so well, well behaved that you know, you don't want to lose that money, MPs and salaries, you know, they're not easily parted, so I do have the big stick if I need it, but I'd never want to do that, I've got to be honest with you.
1: But there is one MP who seems to try and want to get through that periodically, Ian Blackford. Who seems to really sort of actively desire? I mean, there was that whole period. You're asking him to constantly rephrase the question. You're like you're a referee, just saying, "I'm not going to send you off if you just say sorry." He was. It felt like he was
2: determined to get sent out that day. <laughs> he, he, yes, and look, I've, I've got to be honest. I try to get on with everybody in Poland. and I always know Wednesday morning, you um, know, usually be on. I'm just going to ask two questions, they'll be short, but well, I know that's never going to be the case. <laughs> and the old groan when he stands up, which is even funnier. Oh, and he gets up. But he's a lively character, full of fun, and he always wants to try. And he doesn't really mean it, but also, he ran out so he didn't get named. He didn't want to lose five days' pay. <laughs> Whatever he says, he'll say, I got thrown out. No, he didn't, he walked out. <laughs> Let me tell you, whatever he tells you now. Naki said to him, Ian, you didn't get thrown out, you walked out.
1: So he walked out. I didn't know that. I thought he had got thrown
2: out. No, 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 I didn't name him, so he was, he was quite all right. I didn't mean it. You know, it's like, we're still mates, aren't we? And, and of course, they're all shouting. My problem is, is, I've got to watch the MPs asking a question, and very serious questions, but I then get the, the wit to the side of me on both sides. Watch for that button ping, he's put more weight on. He'll take somebody's eye out. And I'm trying my best to concentrate on what he's telling me. And they're trying to distract me deliberately. It's terrible. You know. So I get it from both sides, you know, it's like stereo in me. And some of it you're trying your best not to laugh, and that's the danger. And I'm tempted to think, that's a good line now, I like that one. I must say that. Well,
1: the thing is for you, because you're jolly anyway,
2: if you laugh along, you're probably gonna laugh along equally with Labour, SNP, Tory or whoever. Of course. Oh, yeah, the banter comes from all sides. I've got to say, they're all pretty good. There's one or two MPs who wouldn't know what humour is, but, you you know, they had a humour bypass when they were born. That's maybe why they went into politics, but of them are quite good, really.
1: And is it... I mean, you're in such a delicate position, because, and every speaker is, you're initially a party political figure. You stand on a manifesto, you're a Labour MP for many, many years, and then all of a sudden, you're an impartial figure. Obviously, you still have your own politics, but how hard is it to separate... A, an entire political career of standing on manifestos, going to Labour Party meetings, advocating a particular ideology,
2: and then effectively having to give it up in the very chamber in which is the ultimate stage. Depends, and, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I didn't always quite agree with the party. When they got it wrong, I didn't vote with them. I, I, you know, My belief is, if you tell people, and, and I represent Chorley all my life, I'm a Chorley lad, born and brought up in Chorley, was on the council for 18 years before I came into Parliament, youngest councillor and all that, so my view is that it's the people of Chorley who elect me, not the whips. The whips could not quite understand my way of thinking about it. But I always said to them, Luke, if you're going to get me to promise... Let, a good example is top-up fees. So when to throw away, the Labour government said, we will not bring in top-up fees. In fact, we will legislate against the introduction of top-up fees. I put it on all of my literature. And they said, we came back, into, back in, the Labour Party's re-elected. By the way, you know that little idea we had about legislating against tuckle fit i said yeah it's now cancelled so what do you mean it's cancelled well we're going to bring them in so well don't expect me to vote for it so there are times in life where if you think it's right you've got to do the right thing that could be a whip's nightmare i didn't do it all the time but you have to have a principle somewhere and that's where i always find it much better to be honest to the people who have let me rather than people in london who haven't got the same worries and a marginal seat it matters people matter too.
1: So when you're effectively refereeing the House of Commons, if you've got a situation like last week, where you've got <laughs> the leader of the Labour Party and a Prime Minister who has you know, been your ideological opponent for so long. I mean, if you were against some of the stuff Tony Blair did, I can only imagine what you think of some of the stuff <laughs> Boris Johnson done. It done. Obviously, you are highly trained, you're politically skilled and all the rest of it. But it must be difficult not to
2: emotionally react to some of the stuff you're hearing. What... what well, you've got to do, Lou. I always say to people, Lee, if you take a job, look at the rules. And the rules are simple. They said you have to be neutral, you have to show true independence and play a straight bat. And I said, well, these are the rules. I'm going to make sure I stand by the rules. Otherwise, don't put yourself forward for the job. And hopefully what people respect, whichever political side of the house is, I try to treat them with respect and making sure whether you're the Green Party. Or whether you're know, the SDLP, I will make sure you will always get first time and the first law. I try to look after everybody, and I knew that when I took the job on, the condition was I have to be neutral. Of course, I've got my opinion. It's very hard. My daughter's looking for a seat. My dad's in the lodge. My wife's a member of the Labour Party. You know, between them all, I'm surrounded. But the bottom line is, it was my decision, independence, yeah. and
1: so. Um, What's your relationship like with the Prime Minister? Because obviously the, the big psychodrama really was Burko and Cameron. That, because they seem to really hate each other. Oddly, it seems that most speakers have had quite a constructive relationship with, with other Prime Ministers. So how difficult is it for you, particularly at a time like this, where the Prime Minister's announced that he's going, and we don't know exactly when yet, yeah, yeah. to have a constructive relationship with the Prime Minister? You shouldn't like have it. to
2: hate people. You don't have to agree with people. What I always say is, Luke... It's not just about tolerance, it's about respecting people's views that may differ from mine. And the fact is, I may disagree completely, but the bottom line is, I've got to respect the elected Prime Minister, the Prime Minister of this country. I've got, my job is to represent the backbenchers. I've got to hold the House together and make sure that the government's scrutinising. Where I fall out with the Prime Minister, I will fall out with anybody if you decide to bypass the House. And we went through that stage and it was a difficult stage where the announcement was being made in Downey Street. It's not for Downing Street to make the announcement, it's for Parliament to hear it first and that's my job. I've got to look after all those MPs, they elected me, I'm their shop steward. So it all comes back to the same message, come to the House, treat the House with respect and remember... It's not just Labour MPs that complain. It was more Conservative MPs that were getting on my case and said, why won't he come? And it's about that. So it's not about falling out and hatred and all that. It's about saying, look, you're wrong. You need to come to the House. I need to hear it first. And that's the kind of, you've got to have a constructive conversation. You know, you've got to work with people. It ain't going to change. Other people will change it for me. I've just got to make sure it works for the House. And
1: what's your philosophy on Prime Minister's questions then? Because under Burkow, they were gone for nearly an hour. And that obviously drove some people mad. And he was seen, whatever his faults, as somebody who really strengthened the rights of backbenchers. So do you have a sort of overall philosophy on what you want Parliament to be like and and specifically to Prime Minister's questions?
2: I want a nicer Parliament. I want a more honest Parliament. I want to respect the Parliament. And it's about taking the heat and the anger out. If we shout and bawl each other and threaten each other, don't be shocked outside when somebody also starts to shout at you you know if you're an MP and you wave one finger and you might get a lot more way back at you and i'm saying think about your actions because sometimes these things come back and reflect to us and what i say is look let's work together in the house let's have a nicer kind of politics and we can build on that and i've got to build that trust right across the house and it, and it's you know it's my view that i think john burke was absolutely right making the government to account We still do, he was right to bring in urgent questions. They were there, but never got used. If you had one a year, you were kind of lucky. He was right. If the government won't come forward with a statement, let's bring the government to the house. And I've carried that on, we've probably done more actually, And we get through. And what I'm trying to do with questions is speed them up. It's not about me, it's about getting MPs in. So hopefully the speed at which I do it, allows more questions or the same number of questions to get through in a shorter period. And that's what it's about, it's about managing time doing the right things and looking after MPs and I always say to MPs look I have so many free hits as we call it and I'll say to you if you have something that's very very important let me know constituency issue there could be a major problem let me know I'll see if I can help but also say don't keep coming because I keep a tally I have a tally of how many times they've asked Prime Minister's questions to me the bottom line is if you've asked zero I'm going to take you because everybody should have a good chance. And I keep a rolling record all the time. In fact, Jim's, who's with me tonight, Jim's works in Speaker's House, he knows that he's the train-bearer for the Speaker. And Jim keeps a tally. When MP said, it's not fair, I've not been taken. Jim, he suddenly produces the spreadsheet. Yes, you've asked a question here, there, there. No, you didn't get in here, but we got you in there. Uh, oh, I'll leave it. And now, thanks to Jim, I have this complete control of what members think. They're hard done to. They're not hard done to. I've tried to look after them all. And what about, so for
1: instance, when Sajid Javid wants to uh, do his resignation speech at a particular time, does he have to come and see you personally? And, and how do you decide whether that's okay or not? I think
2: he was still resigning when I got the phone call. <laughs> sure, I thought, I'm sure i have just seen him go <laughs> downstairs. Uh, uh, sorry to bother <laughs> you. Know, he said, um, I just wonder if I can have a chance. What's up, Sajid? I've just read that. I said, I've just watched it. (laughs) He said, "Um, is there any chance for a resignation speech? I said, Secretary of State? Absolutely. Any chance after PMQs?
0: Yeah, I said, why not? I said, nobody else
2: has been on to me. Rishi's still not been in touch. So there we are, you know. So I said, the floor is yours. And that's what it's about. Yeah, so of course, I could take the phone call. Yeah, absolutely. I'll work with MPs. It's their rights, their job. The House needs to know why. And also, I mean,
1: I love... Parliament, and I love promises questions specifically, and I, I loved it as a kid, and it used to drive me nuts at school. And I, it, you know, I often encounter people even in politics go, "Oh, it's too rowdy, whatever." And I'm, like, I'm glad it's rowdy. It, it part of what makes it such a ferocious exercise in accountability is it's not an easy place to go. But how do you get the line between having that kind of entertainment value where it's but it's still rooted in accountability without it tipping over into being? Yeah, too, too much entertainment
2: and not enough politics. I always look at those and I think, right, you've got to let it get it live. You want a bit of life in it, you know, because I think the problem was during the pandemic, doing it remotely, absolutely kills any atmosphere. So what did I miss most? Prime Minister's questions. What do I miss? A bit of banter, the enjoyment, the heat. What I want to do is keep the heat, moderate heat, without it boiling over. <laughs> if I could keep it below boiling over, I've done well. And who knows, sometimes it just the pan might just spill a little. But overall, we do quite well. So I've decided I'm not going to be a chef in future life. I know no way to keep the heat at the right temperature without burning the guts.
1: <laughs> because it's so funny when you talk about all these people, like, these are the most powerful people in the country. And you're having to referee them, not even like footballers, but like children, really. They're screaming and shouting, they're heckling. They're... It's, pretty, it's funny stuff, but it is about people being short or fat or like thick or whatever. You're like... It's actually, on one level, amazing, but on another level,
2: some people might be horrified to hear that this is how MPs behave. It, it's amazing. I go into schools in the constituency. I love doing schools. They're so well behaved, they're so polite, they ask the question the right <laughs> order. They said, Is it like Parliament? I said, Absolutely not. I'd love to transfer you back to Parliament because my life in Seoul will be so civilised. Um, but, but you're right. It, it is about the roundness, it's about those who are mischievous, those. And you always know where the one liners are gonna come from. And you yeah. always know where the difficulties. You have the awkward squads on all parties. And that once I once I see them grouped together, I know where my problems are. Sort them out early, give them a quick warning, and after that the pussy cats. Because <laughs> I remember I interviewed Tim Lawton years ago and he said he would deliberately sit right in that back. Still
1: there, still there, yeah, same so place. He's behind you effectively. Up here, yeah. He thinks I can't see him, but I can. <laughs> But is that the best, and the heckle I think Michael Duggar used to sit on the sort of alleyway so that he couldn't be seen in the Gordon Brown era. Are they the best
2: places to heckle from? Well, the, 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 the ones I have is when they get, and I'm not trying to resize, but the, the bigger the MP, they get the smaller MP with the biggest voice to hide behind them. <laughs> what they forget is, you can usually ignore the voices. You know, Andrew Bower's a distinctive voice, so I always know where he's coming from. And I'm looking round, you know, they might hide behind Alex Shelbrook, but I tell you, I know the voices. I don't even need to know where they are. I can hear them. Uh, and, And that's what you get to do, you know, you get to know them. And they say, how do you know where I was? Come on, get real. How do you know it was me? get real, you know, come on, change your accents, be bit like me shouting. I used to always get picked on. Why? Because <laughs> I'm distinctive and have a very loud voice. My big advantage is I'm usually louder than they are when it comes to... But it, but it is, it's all about that, and you're absolutely right. They get themselves down, they hide in the best spots. And, and the trouble is, up this side, I've, they've been giving me a bit of grief, Tim Lawton all the way down. They come down and they don't laugh. You know, they turn it up and then they'll say, that is enough, next one... We need to have quiet words, don't we? I once made a mistake and I said, I'll sort this out afterwards. I think they thought I was going to have a fight.
0: Just then we came,
2: I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. And I said, what made you say that? I said, I don't know. I said, but do you, I mean, I'll said i tell you what, though, they didn't hang round. <laughs> they were a bit chicken shit. Really.
1: <laughs> it must be a hard place to referee. I mean, periodically this happens where Dawn Butler yeah. calls Boris a liar, and everyone's like, well, she gets, he's a liar. She's getting told off for calling him a liar. This is just stupid. I mean, I disagree with that and say, if people are saying you need rules, the argument isn't to have less rules. If you, you know, the same people that say parliament isn't respectful enough to say, well, you should be able to call people liars. I mean, am I right? Or do you think actually there could be more leeway that if someone is a hypothetical individual who may hold the office of prime minister <laughs> is not telling the truth, should MPs be able to
2: call... Boris Johnson and I bastard. <laughs> well the answer is you can do it in different ways. Inadvertently could have misled the house, or we could actually call somebody a liar on a substantive motion. So there are ways of doing it. What I say is: look, if we all turn around and shout to each other's liar, that we won't get beyond lying the first question, will we? Because somebody will say that's not correct, before we know it we're into this, and just shout to somebody down because of are liar. And what I say is I've got the greatest respect for Dawn. Absolutely understand where she was coming from, and um, you know, I said, Look, there are other ways of doing what you're trying to achieve. Um, don't do this because the rules are quite simple. There we are, Eskin says, You cannot do this. So, therefore, I've got to work with those rules as much as you might think I can bend them. I don't want to bend them, they're there to establish some decorum within the house. Because I tell you, once you start with one side shouting, there. Wait till you get it, it will be ping-pong. Let's say you won't get past the first question before they all call each other a liar. So it's about having certain words. It's about making the house a nicer chamber. Calling somebody a liar is not the best way forward. But if you want to, and Ian Blackford did it, put a substantive motion down, yes you can do it. So I advise them, saying, look, these are the rules, work with the rules, and the rules will allow you to do what you're trying to achieve. And the rules that allow clapping, well, I'm not into clapping. I'm not debating, so to- <laughs> Good God, no. Even on the council, we didn't clap. In Surely we didn't clap when someone is... I'll tell you, every SNP claps every time they get up and down. I would never get anywhere. All we'd have is an echo of claps all the way through. And, and I just think that is not what Parliament's about. This is about making good debating points. And, of course, there are certain times, and, and even I can relent, that when we have the President of the Ukraine... Addressing both houses, coming live on that screen, there was a ripple of applause. And that's the kind of thing that it should be done. So rare, but it's going to be a very extra special occasion where I love it. Otherwise, it will never stop. They, think they're, they all think they've made a brilliant speech. Can you imagine? They clap themselves if I allowed it. Loud, eh? <laughs> yeah, it would have been harsh to tell them off when they applauded Zelensky, wouldn't it? I mean, that would have been... No, I'd, I'd actually encouraged it. I'd sent a message out to say... All clap together I want to make this big impression on the house because of course I was told we couldn't have it what uh, you know I'm saying look oh we don't have people come in as a chamber even if it's on the screen we don't do this I said well we are going to do it oh no no it wouldn't be good maybe we could go and do it up in the committee room I said you tell me which 10 MPs I can take with me I said and then I explained to the other 640 why they can't be with me Uh, I said, well, I'll leave that one with you because this is where we're doing it. And in fairness, we did it in the Commons, don't we do have a PAC chairman? We brought the Lords in as well. And it was a moving moment and it was solidarity. Here we are, a sovereign state being invaded and we were allowing Parliament to express and listen to somebody defending their country. And I've got to say it was the most amazing and moving piece of history because it was, we made history that day. And who knows whether it will ever happen again but it mattered so much to me. I wanted to show the solidarity of the House. It was important, but it was important for the country as well, and important for Ukraine. We did it, and it was the right thing to do.
1: It was, and it, it, it was very moving to watch it from home, watching it on television. It must have been especially powerful to be there.
2: Absolutely, you know, and the worry was, can we do this? Can we make sure, security-wise, that somebody's not going to intercept that signal and follow that signal back? so it was a really scurry moment it was timed absolutely we've got to get it right we'll switch on we've got to do it so quickly before anything there's any follow-up and we did it and i've got to say that's the amazing stuff we've got in the house of commons that works so closely with the security force in this country and in the ukraine to make it happen and as i said very moving and quite rightly i was had to be shown
1: and so where did that did Zelensky ask if he could address the House of Parliament, did it come via Downing Street? Did you request that he do it?
2: We we requested because we'd had this, that, you know, we'd like to speak, and i have been invited because i have met with the Speaker. I'd met with some Ukraine MPs, and they wondered if we if we could actually make this happen. Once we did it, every other Parliament wanted to copy, it and it was quite right. This was about the world uniting and showing solidarity.
1: Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It, it was a phenomenal moment, uh, and clapping was allowed at that point. I mean, you say, obviously in the Scottish Parliament, they do allow clapping, and once that's the sort of culture... Well, they do it at
2: Ranger Celtic, but that's not a football match,
1: is it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you, you, there's still good points being made, aren't there? You know, you still see, you go active. It's just part of the furniture. It's no different to going, here, 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 is it? It's just a different noise, you make of your hands and study
2: your well, that's usually up in a committee room, by the way, and it's usually at the 22, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> and all that. But yeah, I, I just think, I think it's about, you know, we're not a debating society. We, we, we are the chamber that's making policies. As I said, there are many great speeches. And sometimes I think that's a fantastic speech. You know it's a fantastic speech. You don't need to applaud something that everybody knows. I've also got to get on to the next one. And how long did they start standing, clapping? How long would it go on? Where does the innovation start? Where does it end? And the trouble is, some of the worst speeches could ever be in your life would end up clapping. Well, that party did it. We've got to do it for our party. Oh, don't forget about them. And, th- and then it goes on, doesn't it? it never ending. Like I say, if you want to clap something, go to the rugby, the football, and then we could see oh, that's where it. I need to see it though, not here. And if you watch Warranty, you don't clap much at the moment.
1: So, in terms of coming speaker then, you were elected in 1997, mm-hmm. 25 years ago, yeah. uh, in the in the landslide. Absolutely. A, a phenomenal election to be a part of, I'm sure. And then... I was a blur babe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a Blair bloke. No, 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 I was a babe. Oh, because you're Lindsay. Because I'm Lindsay. So I got this great request that said, uh, really pleased. would you like to come to the women's group? <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay.
0: <And> then <laughs>
2: And, you know, it's quite amazing, all these fantastic, you know, women have been elected. Then they said, would you like to send a photograph, we doing the book, of all the newly elected women MPs. I sent the photo, I didn't get put in, and I never got asked again after that. And then, if you remember, they had Emily's List. So I go to Blackpool, and I go into the conference, Winter Gardens, when we're still going to the Winter Gardens, we're still going to Blackpool. And I walk in, and it's the Emily's List, and there's Lindsay Hoyle, all the new women MPs. <laughs> <laughs> I went up to the staff. said, how oh, can we help? I said, you got me on Emily's list. You what? I said, I'm on Emily's list. <laughs> you can't be. I said, well, that's my name. He showed me up. Show so, yes, I am a blurb, babe. <laughs> oh, that's
1: so cool. Is it, have you, are there any sort of documentary?
2: Is it in any old documents or anything? I would love to. <laughs> but we've still got the invites to the women's bit. It must be somewhere, but, yeah, it was... It was quite an interesting time. It took me quite a bit to, you know, in the end, I thought, this will never end until I sent the photograph. Once didn't use the photograph, I think the message went out, I think we've got this wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Full body, (laughs) yeah. Not quite, with kit on.
1: (laughs) So then, I guess what I was getting at was, in 97, so many Labour MPs were elected, and maybe when you first get elected, you think, well, I might be a minister or whatever. At that point, where did your political ambitions lie? Did you want to be a frontbencher? Did you dream of running a department,
2: and if so, which one? Or even at that point, did you think, actually, I think I'd rather be Speaker of the House of Commons? I never even thought I dreamt about being the Speaker, because there was no way I could ever become Speaker, because it was the usual Deputy Speaker was the first thing. And Deputy Speakers was a tap on the shoulder and say, oh, you're a good person, we need you to become a Deputy Speaker. Well, nobody's going to tap me on the shoulder. So there was no chance I was ever going to be a deputy speaker, let alone speaker. So in the end, what happened? Did I want to climb some greasy pole? Like everything, sometimes you, you ought to keep your mouth shut, but I actually think it's the right thing to do at some other times. So it all ended on Gibraltar. And my political career in that sense all ended the day that, if you remember, the Labour government decided that Gibraltar should have twin flags and we should share sovereignty. Now... I'm a person that believes the people who live there should have the right to self-determination. I don't care whether they live in the Falklands, Gibraltar. If you're in overseas territory, you should be the people. It's not for the British government to go giving it away, and it's not for others to take. I believe these people should do it. And, of course, surprisingly, i had this little issue of what only happened to me. Three constituents from Chorley, all pensioners, decide to go to Gibraltar. They go and have a lovely day shopping. They're coming back with all the duty-free, <laughs> They get halfway across the Fripjaldi, so they want to get the best of it. you got the 200 fags, the bottle of Jane, you name it, they're coming back across the border closest. How could this happen to me? So they were neither in Spain nor in Gibraltar. And Spain wouldn't let them go back to Gibraltar, but they wouldn't let them into Spain. For 14 hours, three pensions were held at the customs post. So I thought, Ooh, this isn't good. So they told me all this story, That wasn't... Too interest in Gibraltar anywhere at this stage and they said to me we can't believe this happened what do you think it's ruined our whole death I said I'll tell you what I'm gonna do I'm gonna write to the ambassador I thought oh, who knows he might send a nice sympathetic letter and say you ought to come back to Spain and enjoy it. so I sent my letter off to the ambassador I didn't know he was retired in two months he said what the hell do you expect when you legally occupy a piece of Spain <laughs> he said they deserved everything they've got I said right mate I'll tell you what now, I wasn't a supporter of Gibraltar, but made me mind up for life. And that's how I became involved in Gibraltar. So it became very easy when they're thinking of putting a Spanish flag on Gibraltar. Get lost. You're giving me pain, I'll make you pay for this for the next 30 years. <laughs> I guess that's politics, isn't it? Of course, yes. it <laughs> So that was also the end of my career, because what I then did... And, and, and it's terrible, so... I've got a load of MPs who are sympathetic. And I said, right. I said, they want to do this. Tony Blair wants this new access into into Europe. He doesn't want to be France and Germany, so he's creating the Italy, Spain, UK, new access. This year we're going to do it. The deal is to get Spain on board. What he offered the Italians, I've no idea. But what he said is, I think we can overcome the problem of Gibraltar. So he put Jack Straw, if you remember, in charge and a couple of others, and said, That's how we'll deal with it. So they said what do we do i said well in those days they changed the rules And i said the weakness is always a minister especially if you have had a long day they said well what are you thinking i said well, we'll put name day questions in and name day questions have to be answered i think it's within three days or four working days so i said right we put 300 questions each in every day his box was full to the brim <laughs> And a minister has to sign them all off. Even if they don't read them, I thought, this will take them hours. And every (laughs) night, they had to go home and this box was filled. And we kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And they said to me, Luke, you know, this can't carry on. So they said, would you come into the foreign office? I said, yeah, I don't mind. I'll come and have a chat with him because Jack Straw's my neighbour, you know. I thought i will go in. His foreign secretary, Peter, in with his deputy. And they said, just to let you know... uh, this is the Balkan section, the Balkans is still going on, I said yeah. They said we've eight people working on the Balkans, uh, you know, with massive civil wars happened and everything, complete problems here. This is Gibraltar. By the way, these are the hundred and... 20 people who've got working on the Gibraltar section. <laughs> That's interesting. I said, when do you put Gibraltar in the Balkans, anyhow? I said, let's put that to one side. So they said, basic, we've no staff, we can't cope, the minister's not getting any sleep, you absolutely <laughs> grind the whole of the department. I knew I got it right. <laughs> so they said, like, you know, we just had Peter in there, his car was robbed, he got threatened, the window was put through, it was a really bad reception for him. You didn't do that. No, no, I didn't need to. People in Gibraltar are very good at welcoming people. <laughs> they said, and I had Jack Straw, one weakness, and a light Jack. I said, every time you speak, have you ever been to Gibraltar? And he had to admit he hadn't. I said, well, how can you keep lecturing us on what Gibraltar needs if you've never been? So I thought we we're going to have to force him. So, of course, I then get the message, uh, by the way, the Foreign Office would like to speak to you. So, that's good. They said, um, Privately, just to let you know, the foreign secretary is going to visit Gibraltar. I said, that's very good. They said, "Have you any advice?" After what I'm with Peter Ayn, I said, "Absolutely." I said, P- "Send Peter in 20 minutes before Jack arrives."
0: <laughs>
2: and that's how it went. And of course, Jack puts in his book, "You know, I'm the man that can resolve a 300-year-old problem, or it become a footnote in history." I said, "Jack, by the way, it will be a footnote in history because you will not resolve the Gibraltar problem. All the people in Gibraltar can resolve that." They want to be Spanish, that's my... They all wish, I support you. But I always believe the people who live there should have the right to that self-determination. So that basically, after that, I didn't get very far then politically. (laughs) (laughs) I stood on the regional board of the party forever. So certain things I never gave up, but yes. Uh, So I I could... You know, I was tried to be helpful in a different way.
1: (laughs) So were you ever...
2: Were you ever approached for
1: a ministerial, junior ministerial role, was it ever suggested at any time? No, no, no,
2: no. I, I think they managed to write me off very early. <laughs> and, that, and that was not a real problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like every. I think we came in in there were so many of us. Where do you pick? Where do you start? And there were already people there who'd been acting as shadow ministers. There were so many people all over it. And in fair credit, we have probably, when you look back, some of the biggest beats politically that we've ever seen And I always say to people, Luke, you know, whatever people's views are of Tony Blair, love him, hate him, whatever, he was a big beast. He walked in a room, you felt the presence, and that takes a lot to feel that. Politicians like that don't come along very often. The only person I've seen outshadow Tony Blair was well when Bill Clinton came to the Labour Party conference, and you walked in the room, two big beasts, just one was even bigger than the other. And those are the kind of politicians you don't mix with very often. We've been very lucky to see some great politicians, different political parties. We had an era where they were really big beasts. And who knows, like politics, everything comes right. And all, who knows what the future holds. And, and with Labour then, because you're probably to the
1: left of Tony Blair, it's probably fair to say.
2: It wasn't hard. In <laughs> fact, <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly found somebody to the right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> were you to the left or the right of Corbyn?
2: <laughs> to the right, <ride. laughs>
1: and then is, is Keir Star in a sort of Goldilocks zone then well like everything I haven't got a view these days, so it's much easier isn't it <laughs> okay historically then, was was Kinnock your kind of guy
2: I think Neil Kinnock did a great service to the Labour Party, It made them electable and I think in the end we can have the best politician in the world, if you can't get elected it's pointless, you can have the best policy in the world, you know you could you can write the best manifesto, unless people vote for you, it's worthless. The people deserve good representation. And what I would say is, Neil Kinnock set a platform in order for a Labour government to, to follow. So when you were growing up then, and, and when you oh, first yeah. were getting political, who were your political idols? <sighs> it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Where do you start? Che Guevara, you know, got to, depends where you want to pick in history. Um, I, I was like slave Labour, let me tell you. My father fought Plethora in 1964. And as a six-year-old delivering leaflets in Ribble Valley, where you're never going to win in the memory of man, and they have the longest drives at the biggest houses. I think I was saying because I was a kid, they were never going to shout at. So you know, doing that was set the political tone for my future. You know, I had the first paper round as a six-year-old. Not many did it afterwards. In fact, you say I'll run to this house. I didn't realise that uh, you know we were going to get slaughtered. I actually thought there was a cause. Even at six, we were going to get so. So of course, um, you know that my first conference was Scarborough. You know, I'd not even turned one, I'd gone to the Labour Party conference, you know, was a three-year-old, I was the one that was throwing the bacon around the hotel room, sat in a, you know, sat in a high chair, you know. And these great politicians, the Nibib and people like that, have been around, you know. And Wilson, you name them, so I, I've been brought up very early going to a Labour Party conference. So my roots had always started at a very young age. So I'd seen different politicians, and my father was always on the hard left until he realised you can't get elected, and of course he, you know, he switched, he realised, great policies, great trade unionists, fantastic, but you're achieving nothing unless you get elected, uh, and of course, well, it was always easier to be the right of him, you know, him and Dennis Skinner voted against the Labour government more than the Tories, you know, so that was interesting, there Wilson in 1974-79, so you know, you can could, you could pick it from there, and I, I, th- I think like everything, I respect politicians, You know, whatever we might think, you can look back in history, there are politicians that stand out of all different political parties, and what a difference they've made. So I admire politicians, I admire them for standing up and actually serving the country in what they believe is the best possible way, with the best possible policies.
1: And it's not just about domestic politics, is it? You have a role internationally, not just in terms of hosting uh, Vladimir Zelensky, but in terms of speakers and... and Effectively, in, in advanced democracies, how do we corral debate and what's the tone? And, and these issues are global. And you've struck a very good friendship with Nancy Pelosi, the uh, Speaker <laughs> in America. I mean, I mean, I think it's really cool that to have, like, a Lancashire accent at the heart of the House of Commons. What's Nancy Pelosi make
2: of Lindsay Hoyle? Uh, I think once you got over the shot, she was coming to Charlie. We we're all right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's funny, isn't it? So uh, I become Speaker, I think, great. They said, Oh, by the way, uh, just to let you know, there's a speakers' conference coming up. Speakers' conference? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, we just set it up in London. I said, It's the speakers' conference. Isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I said, Well, do I not choose? <laughs> well, what do you mean? I said, Well, it's the speakers' conference. And Nancy Pelosi uh, had held it the year before during the pandemic and said to me, Whatever we do, can you please ensure that we go to your district? Once I realised my constituents, everything worked out. <laughs> so he said, if we could go to your district, because every time we only go to London, we never get out of London. I Said, you're wrong. So I said, right, so I went back to him and said, this conference you're doing in London? They said, yeah. I said, it's going to Chorley. <laughs> well, it can't. What do you mean it can't? So well, it's a speaker's conference, we're going to Chorley. Well, where's Chorley? <laughs> <laughs> I said, right, I said, I think the International Office in the in of Commons, I said, I'll tell you what, we're going to move the conference to Chorley and actually Speaker's Office are going to set it up. And I've got to say, David, who's one of my other deputies, David, have you been to Chorley? No. I think he got a nosebleed when I went to Watford Bonds. <laughs> I said, well, I've got some good news for you. You're going up to Chorley. So off he went, started the team. And where do you start? You know, great idea, Astley Hall, listed building, being renovated, center of Chorley, beautiful Parland. Fantastic. I said, well, we'll start by having a conference there. I said, on the Saturday and on Sunday, we're going to go to Coronation Street. I said, this is the base that we're going. I said, it's going to be a Lancashire thing. I want to show Nancy Pelosi what Lancashire is about. I said, we've got a lot of history in show that people don't know about, and I'm going to really educate them so we get underway. First of all, security. 750 police on duty. We've got the Met who wants to get involved. Lancashire Police don't like being told either. We've got police sources in the park. I think we've got seven police officers. We've even got divers in the lake outside that were under there searching for months. <laughs> so Charlie's seen nothing like that. <laughs> so the police are going round. And they're sealing up the grids. <laughs> Next thing they're off is getting a phone call. Is there a problem? What, what do you mean? Well, we've just watched them. They've just been sealing up that grid. And guess what? They've just lifted up the manhole cover. And they said, have you started working for the gas board? (laughs) I said, don't worry, it's all security made. So the whole of Charlie was locked in. Then I got a phone call. "Um, I'm not going to leave this weekend because you're having a conference on. I can't leave my house without anybody. I said, with 750 police, if I were you, I'd go away for the weekend because this is going to be the safest place anybody's been to. So, of course, Nancy Pelosi's office rings up. By the way, uh, speaker Pelosi, um, should we come in our own plane? Uh, where can we park it? <laughs> I said, All right, leave it with me. German speaker. By the way, the German speaker's got his own plane. Where can we park it? Italian speaker comes on. By the way, we're coming. We've got our own plane. Where can we park it? I thought, not many parking lots in Charlie for aircraft.
0: <laughs> I said, I've got
2: the answer. BAE Systems, just up the road. Totally secure, power your planes up there, we did. By the way, speaker applause is a nine car escort. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So so, so my office my officer trying to make this fit. By the way, we will need a minimum of forty bedrooms. I'm like, what? There's no hotel in charlotte has got forty bedrooms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Never
2: mind, we'll take the old hotel at Preston, we'll go to the Preston Marriott. We'll get it all kitted out. security-wise, we can make this happen. she I said, "Have you got to address it? Absolutely. We'll get it. make badge you, David. Everything's there. No problem. I think that's great. So Friday night comes. I said, "Right, we're going to really go for lunch now." So we put the, the band on the army band. I said, I, so, I phoned up Ben Wallace, is mailed the neighbor cigarette I said, "Ben, I need a favor. What do you want?" I said, well, "To be honest, I want the red arrows." <laughs> He said, You want the Red Arrows? I said, Yeah, no, 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 I'm not asking for a lot. He said, I'll tell you what, you can have the band. He said, You can have them on Friday night. He said, And we'll do the jazz section on the Saturday night when you do your dinner. Great. I said, I still want the Red
0: Arrows.
2: He came back, he said, I've got you a I got your Spitfire. thought, This is going to go down well with the Germans. I'll take the Spitfire. So I get the spitfire. I said, I still want them red arrows. <laughs> he said, You joke. I said, no, I'm not. A week to go, I want them red arrows. He said, for Christ's sake, he said, ask for nothing else, you've got them. He said, you got the band, you got the spitfire, and you've got the red arrows. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Not a problem. So I said to our people, I said, right, I want a Lancashire themed meal. So Mitchell and Stard Chef, got them in Lancashire, believe it or not, <laughs> absolutely. Got the chef involved, put the full Lancashire dishes on. Not many people have had shrimps on crumpets, but it was a great start.
0: <laughs>
2: and I said, I want the full Lancashire works. I said, whatever we do, they're going to know they've been to Lancashire. I've never seen as much cheese in all my life. So every meal was dominated by Lancashire. And Paul Heathcote was fantastic, because I knew him through the rugby and that, and he'd done Bolton one just And a big Bolton fan, I said, Paul, I want you to do it. He said, I'm going to make it happen. So he did it. So I thought, what else can I have? Oh, you know, I just need something just to put a, put a bit of extra on this. <laughs> so I thought, I need somebody to sing. Because at night, you've got a bit of a jazz section, but it's going to be a bit flat in this big marquee. I want Alfie Bo. He's a Lancashire singer, opera singer. I want Alfie. So a friend of mine, SGM Promotions, I, ph- I phoned up Simon, and ran, well, I got the office, actually. I said, by the way, I said, Simon, I, I fancy Alfie Bo, Oh, Lindsay. He said, he said, great. He said, you know, like to charged like 50, 60,000 to do a wedding, like 30 minutes, whatever. I said, all oh, right. He said, so what are you thinking? I said, well, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> not a wedding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy's married. <laughs> so I said, you'll not believe this. I said, I want to do it. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in touch in with his agent which was Craig, the drummer, out of Bros. <laughs> so I'm like, hang on a minute, opera singer's got Craig, who used to be in Bros. Is this now his agent. Fantastic, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So i got the office, they've got this screen up, and I'm watching them all, they're all round in my office. Uh, Is that Craig? Yeah, yeah, and he's walking round. Where are you? Oh, I'm in the south of Francis, so I'm just at my house, I'm just walking around the swimming pool. Uh, How can I help? Uh, we want Alfred Bort to come to Chola to sing. Great. What are you offering to pay? Well, nothing. I thought he was going to walk the sweep them. <laughs> He's like stunned. He said, oh, that's it. I said, look, this is Valencia." He said, I'll tell you what, if he wants to do it, we'll sort it. Great. And I've got to say, Elfibor, fantastic. He came along, did the job. So, first of all, Spitfire goes over. The red arrow's come. The hole of Charlie turns out. Not much arms in Charlie. Nancy Pelosi's coming. And the cars are coming in the morning as we're driving through the park. There are thousands, not hundreds, thousands of people have come out. And they're cheering. And even I was like, "Lincoln, and I didn't think we could be this popular. Coming through, the cheering. She said to me, all them people are cheering, why? I said, well, I'll put the conference on. She said, I don't normally get booed. She <laughs> said, over oh, shoulder, you'll all this. So we do all this. And I said, Alfie Ball starts to do his numbers. And the Italian... Italian speaker, he said, well, I'm going to start off with a couple of Italian ballads. The Italians, ah, thinks he can sing, this lad. Got so, the tears started rolling down the Italians. I'm like, I can't believe this, we're moving to me And he, got, he came over to the Italian speaker and he said, I'll do the first verse, you do the second. So he had the Italian speaker sing, the whole of that is lifted. So I thought, we've got to do something special. He said, the only thing I, I want from this event, he said, love, a photograph with Nancy Pelosi and yourself. That was Elphie Ball wanted. Don't worry, we'll sort it. Great stuff. So we go up, I said, oh, they want to do a photograph. So we go up "And, and we do the photograph. He said, is there anything you can do? He said, I'm actually going to Las Vegas. Next year I've got a contract in Las Vegas. He said, I'll be singing at Las Vegas. She said, well, we've got to have a number. Give me an American number. He did suspicious minds. <laughs> well, there you are, Speaker Pelosi dancing to suspicious minds with the Italian speaker and everybody all rocking off the floor. <laughs> Who would have thought all this could happen in Charlie? <laughs> no then, I told you, Charlie, got some great secrets. The Pilgrim Fathers. And everybody talks about them. I said to the Americans, Pilgrim Fathers, Speaker Pelosi. I said, I've got to tell you, we've got a great connection, Charlie. She said, really? I said, oh, yes, Mal Standish. She said, Mal Standish? She said, every child in America has to learn about Mal Standish. I said, well, we're actually in this church. You literally stood on his parents. I said, he's in the crypt. She said, he can't be. I said, well, can you see that pew there, this beautiful pew? That is Mal Standish's pew. Oh, my word. So all the connections came to America. And I ticked off the American embassy and said, by the way, during the Second World War, we had no base at Chorley and they left an American flag and it's the most moth-eaten flag you've ever seen. You can just see about two stars, the rest of it's just threads holding it together. I said, is there any chance that Speaker Pelosi could donate a flag to our church in Charlie? She turned up, she brought this flag. She said, I'd like to present this to the vicar. Father Kelly got this flag and it's in a box and it's fantastic. She said, this is the flag that Joe Biden did his inaugural speech under. She brought it specially to Charlie. They couldn't believe it. It's no way in the way we've never seen it since. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to about Charlie. So we made all this happen in Charlie. People don't realise that Shakespeare lived in Charlie. Well, there we are. I told them that as well. That really threw him. I said, well, you might talk about him. I said, you do know he lived in Charlie for about five years. I said, because he wasn't allowed to go to university because he was a Catholic. And therefore the family at Horton Towers were Catholics and therefore they employed him to educate the children. I said... You know, you can talk about Stratford upon her, but you've got to come to Charlotte first. This is where all the history begins. She so had all these things that I could share with her, so it was amazing. Then we got her to Coronation
0: Street. <laughs> she wears big
2: heels. I said, we're going on cobbles. <laughs> well, she only wears I said, well, we are on cobbles. And they allowed us to drive down all this, like I said, must have been 30 cars in a row all coming down. And I've got to tell you, she must have watched a few things on television flying over she knew know a bit about Coronation Street. We got her behind the bar. We did all the photographs. The French still think I've gone mad and the Italians have not got a clue where they were. As there was no wine behind the bar, they were absolutely lost. So I've got to tell you, we're going to Germany next and the conference, the G7 speakers conference in Germany, and they said, don't expect anything like you provided in Charlie. So I think it might be a bit flatter. And they've got a now is Spitfire. <laughs>
0: I mean that's (laughs)
2: what an amazing life
0: (laughs) it's
2: not not what the people in my office thought of (laughs) it the only thing they came back with and said I don't know where you might have waitrolls in London but we've got booths supermarket in Chorley and they said the meal deal in Chorley is much better you get two items plus a drink (laughs) so that's what my office got out of Chorley (laughs)
1: OK, we'll um, t- some questions from the audience. So indicate clearly,
2: and if I can ask for one-sentence questions, please. Yes, down at the front. Um, am I right in assuming
0: that you're an
2: elected MP, yeah? I'm still an elected MP, yeah. So I'm still the MP for Chorley. So how do you represent them? Very well. So <laughs> <laughs> you know what just No, going to ever take speaker applause into charge. No, no, it's a very good question. I'm speaking well, during I'm the going week.
0: I just
2: curious. Yeah, yeah. So during the week, I'm the speaker weekends, I'm back home, I go back to Charlie, I don't live in London, home is Charlie, it's where I've always lived, and I do my surgeries, I meet the people, I take up the issues, and the advantage is that if I want to see a Prime Minister, he comes to see me, if I've got a problem, that's my big advantage, same with Secretary of State, I'm not sure who they are at the moment, but when the balance is <laughs> there, I'll be able to get them back again. <laughs> so you still have like a proper constituency you office. Can still run everything, I've got a constituency office, everything is still there, so in fact, you, it's just replicated, nothing's changed for me, I've got the same staff I started with 25 years ago, well two of them are, aren't you, you know, they don't like leaving me I don't know why, but uh, we all work together, I've got a great team, I've been very lucky I've got great staff in children I've got great staff in London, you build the right team, you can be the right MP
1: and obviously it's tradition that the major parties don't stand against the Speaker, but do, have you had anyone
2: like smaller parties, the Green Party stood against me, yeah uh, they stood against me and The UKIP decided they weren't standing, so the UKIP candidate was that upset. He changed his name to Mark UKIP. Mark Brexit smith (laughs) (laughs) So there we are. So so I still went through the election. I love elections. I think they're fantastic. (laughs) I I love campaigning. If somebody said to me, what do you miss the most? I miss electioneering. Like by-elections, local elections. I just love getting involved and talking to people. To me, that's the best thing. Most politicians shy away from doors. I just love it. But does that mean as well
1: then, that you can't go to a neighbouring seat and leaflet for someone else?
2: That's right, yeah.
1: Oh, what a shame!
2: Yeah. But what a great excuse! I've got to tell you, some of those people you might not
1: want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, any more questions for uh, Lindsay? Yes, at the back there. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, so you spoke about Big Beast and the Labour Party in like 1997 and so stuff. Who do you think are the Big beast now and who are the ones to watch? Okay, who are the Big Beasts now? And so that you can be independent,
2: maybe in, maybe in all the major parties, who are the Big Beasts now and who are the ones to watch? I, th- I think what we're not seeing is the best. I think the best is still to come. I think we've got some new we'll Find a feet in all the political parties. And I say that quite seriously, because somebody will always emerge, and you go through a transition. And I think there are people to come forward in in all the political parties at the moment because they've all gone through the same problem. And people develop. You know what I w- what I would say at the moment is like is there. He's going to fight the next election. Who knows what the next what the next election will will bring. But what I do believe is that you will find the new intakes of both the major parties, well, in fact, all three parties will emerge a, a new up-and-coming star. I think there's some there, but I want to wait and see how well they develop. Time will tell, and I, I, I think we've got a new crop that's going to come. And I look at all the political parties. I think there's been a lull, but I think we've got a great future ahead. And I think what we need to do is get back to politics, real politics, where we have real debates in that chamber. Where we really get politics alive again and getting people engaged once again. I think, you know, it's been a difficult time. I think whatever people's views are on Brexit, the one thing it did was divide not just the country, it divided families. And it's reuniting politics again to get people engaged again to actually put belief back in the House. I believe in democracy and I want the people of this country to have trust and belief in the future of our democracy as well. So I think the future will be the next intake or the ones that's just arrived. And I don't want to go into names, but I can see some rising stars now. And I think and hope that democracy will re-engage this country again. very excited for the future. Um, Yes, just everyone on the side there. Do you think we should modernise Parliament? Oh yes, that's really good. Should we modernise Parliament? It it depends what you mean by modernise. Should we repair it and, (laughs) yes, (laughs) modernising, I think, I think it's interesting, isn't it? we proved that teams, you can do remote parliament, you can do remote working. Is that the future? No, I believe it's important that MPs come together. I believe it's imp- important that MPs vote. We have modernized something. Out of everything we've been through the pandemic, we all work passes in parliament, and we used to go through, and you used to have to give your name, and they put a line through. We got really bottom, we had an iPad where we strike the name through. And basically I'm saying, well, this isn't good. Is there anything we can do? And now we have voting monitors within the voting lobbies. You touch and you vote instantly. And you can literally record how the votes are going. And I can get that result through instantly where previously it will take forever. And young clerks were three floors up. The division bell would go. They had to race all the way down to go and sit at the desk for MPs to sniffle and cough all over them. And I thought, this isn't good for their health. Why can't we keep this new initiative? So things, yes, some things we can modernise. I like, I like the best of what we've got. Tradition matters on the face of it. But also, if you can modernise to make it more effective, we should. So don't throw everything out. Let's keep some of the ideas that we got. But I think the voting system is by far the best thing we brought forward. So what about electronic voting where they could just sit for mm-hmm. the seat? No, nah, because I want to. I want, otherwise you'd never see a minister. You will not see a prime minister vote. I want to see them all go through the lobby. If you've got a problem, you know, okay, I can speak to a Secretary of State, I can speak to a Minister. Most backbenchers, the only chance they get is when MPs go through that lobby. So even though they're voting at that, they have to go in the lobby to vote. At least then you've got a chance of speaking to a a Minister about a problem you might have. And I think it works well. And I think it's important. Otherwise, we might never see MPs. And what about... um, Stella Crease has obviously been uh, campaigning to make
1: the House Commons friendly to parents, but probably specifically more to mothers. Um,
2: what about that, what about allowing smaller children into the chamber? Well I got a phone call from my good friend Baroness Boothrock. Well lovey, don't give in to this. When they can do it at Tesco or the Till, you can do it in Parliament. I said, well it's not quite part of it. No, 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 she said think of the working people in this country, when they have the same conditions, why should we spoil certain people? So that was the advice I got. What I said is, look, I think it's very difficult as a man and not a mother. Yes, I've got children, but I think other people need to take this decision. And we have a committee, the committee's looked it, and they took the decision. That we've got to look after parents, and we should have no barriers to parents. Well, there are certain limits to what we should have, and their limit was that you shouldn't sit in the chamber with a child. And people do walk through to vote, and I have no problem with that. I can live with most things, but I thought, I don't think a middle-class male is the right person to make that decision. I wanted mothers and other people and women to make that decision. And their view was, we should give real support to families, we should help people, but their decision was that you shouldn't bring children to the chamber. And what about moving the house as apartment from London up north to somewhere like Chorley? <laughs> Chorley's Wiltshire, <waiting. laughs> absolutely. We're ready to go. And you know, look, when I got in, I ran a campaign, and you know, I've got to be honest, said, well, if you take the United Kingdom roughly where centre it is about Chorley, actually, it's not far from Chorley, centre of the country. And Nottingham, I think, is sort of, you know, too far south. You? you know, no, you've got to get north, get real accents. You're only a pretend duck. (laughs) And what I'd say is that you know I think Manchester is absolutely perfect. But in the end, I understand capital cities. People understand it. You know, would I be upset if it was in Manchester? Absolutely not. But I do recognise that the capital is London. In the same way that you know you look you look at Wales, you look at Cardiff, you look at wherever you look around the world. They're in the capital cities. All the infrastructure that goes with it. I certainly wouldn't be upset to be very handy to get on the train from Chorley. Just, just by the way, it just reminded me of something, Speaker Pelosi got a plane, all coming in by planes. They said, how are you going to get there Mr Speaker? One, two, five, bus from Adlington. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but not yeah. with all your train bearers and everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were already waiting, they would got the cars, but yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, Did you it, really get the bus there? Yeah. To town, absolutely, into the office. I got picked up from the office in town, Yeah. So Yeah, it, it does do what I'm knowing again. Um, but, but but you're absolutely right. It, it is. You could go somewhere else, but I think we've got the most beautiful, the iconic building in the world. That is what is known as Parliament, and I think we've got to keep that history there. What we've got to do is make that building work for the future. Uh, so I know you can't
1: name um, MPs that you think are rising stars, but who are... Who are, the f- it, it, who are the funniest ones? <laughs> I thought I wasn't bad, but. No. Oh, well, no. You're, you're funny, but. No, not, no, no, I'm only
2: no, teasing. No. Um, it, it, it is interesting. Um, I, know, I better not use that name. Um, well, he's not going to be Prime Minister much longer. No.
0: It's,
2: it's not in Parliament. <laughs> no. Um, what, 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 what I would say, you have wit and humour that comes. Usually on the back benches, and some of my Welsh colleagues are pretty witty as well. And I've got to say, one or two out of Liverpool have always got to give the wit. <laughs> I've got to tell you, the sharp, the quick, they get the one-liner in, and you just hear. And I've got to stop. And same with the Conservatives when you know they might say, when, like I said, when Rain stands up, they all start yawn, too long. They start shouting, you know. And so there is humour there, and you've got to just soak it up. Don't let it get too far away. Don't let it be offensive but just good sharp one-liners. There are some great ones. You know, Cal McCartney. can tell he's a Tory MP that's a Scotia by birth. He's absolutely ready to throw one in on me at the side. Tim Lawton's another one. you know. So I do have them on each side of the chamber. Tim Lawton, I remember the one where, I think it was him,
1: was when Corbyn was leaving the Labour Party and he did that awful thing of pausing at the wrong time. And it was at PMQs so and he was saying to, I think it was Cameron, and Corbyn goes, this week, Mr. Speaker, I've been in Europe meeting with senior European politicians and one of the things they've been asking me is, Tim Lawton shouted, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and and that, it, it's true. You saw Andy Burnham next to Corbyn trying not to, like, not trying so hard. It, it is difficult.
2: And I've got a like,
1: Focus. <laughs> I coming in now. That's not what he said. It wasn't serious
2: suggestions. <laughs> it, it is bad. And, and, and you just know they've caught that moment. They just think, oh my word. And they'll also say, timing's bad. Because they're at the second too late. Yes. And, and that's even worse, isn't it? You missed it, too late. And, you know, they're like, cringe at me, look at me. You've just got to keep it going. But, you know, I think it's working with everybody. You know, I've got a great job. MPs more never moan. We're all volunteering for the job we took up. We're so lucky to be MPs. And I've said, not only am I lucky to be an MP, but I represent Charlie, so there's nothing better. But actually to come speak, you know, the first Lancashire, Charlie, speak. who would ever have thought it? You know, so I get the best out of the job. And I always said to people, if you don't enjoy the job, think about why you're doing it. I love it. I love politics. I love the chamber. I love the way the house is. It matters to me.
1: Well, you do it brilliantly, and you've helped make it even more entertaining than it was already and you you play such a a, a phenomenal role in our national political life in a way that and as you demonstrated tonight it's just so much fun and can i just say it's so good of you to offer everyone here tonight a vip ticket to prime minister's questions (laughs) (laughs) Um, no problem
2: sorted right when can we what uh, wednesday this week don't forget, just get your, all, all your emails to Matthew <laughs> and collect him personally from the door. <laughs> yeah, and he'll have the
1: tickets. Well, all, all we're saying is, everyone yeah. here tonight, and we'd like the red arrows. Spitfire. <laughs> uh, <a> <laughs> Lancashire Hot Pot, Shrimps on Crumpet. shrimps
2: on crumpet a real thing, by the way? Oh, it was some specialty. Absolutely threw them. It blew them away. <laughs> Whatcom Bay shrimps, they glow beautifully. If yeah. <laughs> you don't walk a you'll know why they glow in the dark. <laughs> Whatever says, there is nothing better. Absolutely, it was fantastic. People just couldn't believe it. You know, we did it. And of course, we did the loin of beef. And people also don't realise that the loin of beef is known as sirloin. So we put sirloin on. Why did I put sirloin on? Because it was knighted in Chorley. James I came to Chorley hunting, and they slaughtered one of the big white cattle. <laughs> And he got the beef and he said, This is the most beautiful beef. They said, Would you bring the loin? So they brought the loin, got the sword out, he said, it is now known as Sirloin. There, yeah, that's Charlie for you. Didn't know that bit of history either, no did really? you? I said, that's where the phrase says. Absolutely. So we got the table at Old Towers <laughs> that he sat at. His chair was a bit bigger than the rest. I didn't realise it wasn't that tall because actually it was separated the chair, and the chair is in Ashley Hall. So when Nancy Pelosi came, I said, by the way, that's where Sirloin was night in that chair. <laughs> Amazing. Um,
1: Lindsay, Mr. Speaker, this has been absolutely even more wonderful than I thought it was going to be. So, ladies and gentlemen, oh my God, what an amazing treat this has been. Please, a huge thank you for one of the best nights we've ever had here. For the amazing Lindsay Hoyle! Thank you. (laughs) There you go, Lindsay Hoyle. I mean, wouldn't it be great if all of us could go to Speaker's House with him and PMQs? Just everyone who's listening to this episode right now was able to go with it. Like the Wonka factory for politics. But what an amazing man. And just the warmth and the spirit. You know, politics can beat it out of some people. Um, Particularly if, and obviously we talked about this, if you're a Labour MP when Labour in government and you're not prepared to do the things required to um, climb the ladder, Being a backbencher can drive some people mad. And then if you add to that all the years in opposition and politics is attritional and it's exhausting, you need real stamina to do it. Isn't he an amazing man that he's just still so naturally full of beans. I mean, this isn't just a bloke that loves politics. It's a bloke that loves life. And you come away just thinking, oh, Matt, what a happy soul. And just, I really respect the fact that his whole life has been about public service through politics. Obviously something that I feel very passionate about, but to do it, with just the biggest smile on his face. And to make the House of Commons, I think he's been perfect really, because he's the reforms he's made and the changes he made have not been at the expense of the atmosphere and the environment. And, and walking that line between allowing some teasing but not allowing it to be disrespectful or nasty is, is perfect really. Um, so I just loved that, and and I'm I'm hopeful that I'll get Lindsay back. i would just I would just love to have him on every fortnight because he's got so many stories. I don't think we'd ever run out. But there we are. What an amazing guest, and what an amazing time to have him on. So uh, I hope you're enjoying watching uh, the race to be uh, our next prime minister. Let's hope the best candidate wins, uh, and I'll see you soon. Torah.